Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us this morning. I know lots of people are out camping and enjoying the sun, so I'll probably keep it short this morning so you can get out. That's probably not true, but <laughs> thank you guys for being here. Uh, so glad that you're here. If you're new with us, we have just been studying through the Gospel of John, and this morning uh, I'm going to try something that's going to be difficult, but we're going to go all the way through John chapter 17. As I was looking at this, I was like, man, we could really do six weeks in John chapter 17, or I could do one week, what do I do? And I think through praying, we're going to do it all, so it's going to be a little different this morning. There's going to be some, a lot of scripture. It's interesting as I've been studying this this morning, or not this morning, but this week, that I'm glad I didn't just study it this morning. I swear I did not just study it this morning. Or maybe I did, you can tell me that at the end, but... Um, no, as I've been studying and looking at this chapter this week, it's very interesting. I've never seen it before, but Jesus really sums up much of what he has previously talked about all through the book of John. And what we're going to do this morning is there's seven statements that Jesus makes in regard to what he has accomplished as he's about to go to the cross. This chapter is known as the high priestly prayer. This is really Jesus' prayer before he's going to the cross to atone for the sins of man. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm giving you full disclosure. We're going to read this chapter, and then we're going to look at each statement that Jesus makes, and we're going to reference it back to earlier in the book of John and see where Jesus addressed that and how he has fulfilled it as he moves to the cross. So fair warning, there's a fair amount of scripture, but I promise you we're going to make it through, and I will try not to make it boring, which how can it be boring when it's the word of God? So God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for each and every person in this place, God. I thank you that you are exalted and that you are lifted high, God. I thank you for this chapter that we're studying this morning, God, is it's going to so reveal your heart for creation, reveal your heart for your people, that the whole reason you came was for this hour where you would atone for the sins of man. And sometimes I think we lose the power and that we, we, we forget really the weight of what you have done. So God, I thank you this morning for what you have accomplished so that we might be set free. And God, I pray if there's someone in this room this morning that has never been set free, that does not know you, God, that you would draw them to yourself this morning. That you would so tenderly and kindly come alongside them, Holy Spirit, move in a way that only you can. Filter my words that it might bring you glory and not me. God, erase anything that's of my flesh so that you would be glorified and exalted in this place. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles, I'm just going to read through John chapter 17 because I think we just need to read through it to really get what Jesus is saying. And then we're going to look at it. Jesus, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, what words? Well, we, if you were here last week, we talked about Jesus turning our sorrow to joy and how he's overcome the world and that gives us peace. So now he's going to the cross and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son, that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me that they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given is from you, given me, is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And then Jesus makes this statement, which is incredible. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, and you have given which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, who was Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for your sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, what, may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I am in them and you in me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory to, that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. In verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them as I am in them. And now we say, dang, that is packed, <laughs> right? I mean, that is a loaded statement, a loaded prayer by Jesus as he is about to go to the cross. What's beautiful about it is it reveals his heart. And what's even more beautiful is we're going to see now as we're going to walk through this that Jesus not only is praying this prayer, but we're going to see that he has already accomplished seven of these statements that he came to do. So what we're going to do is see what these statements are and what are the implications for us. The first one is this, and we see it in verse 4. He glorified his father on earth. Verse 4 says, I have glorified you on earth. He says, I have, catch it, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. 
Another time that we saw this in John was in John chapter 12, 27 through 28, and it says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose or work, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Again, Jesus is saying that I have glorified the Father on earth. The question is, how did Jesus glorify the Father on earth? How did he do it? He revealed the Father's heart for the redemption of creation. We look at John and all of John. We've talked about it before. Jesus over and over and over has said, the glory is for my Father. I am here for my Father. I've come to accomplish my Father's purpose. And what is that purpose? That all creation might be redeemed. That all of creation might know who my Father is. Jesus is saying the reason he has come, and I don't find it a coincidence, that the first thing he says he has accomplished is to bring glory to his Father. He deserves the glory. He deserves the praise. He has revealed himself to creation and that all men might have the chance to be saved. See, if God did not love you, he would not have redeemed you. So often there's this view of Christianity, especially from people that have no idea about the faith, is why in the world would I want to serve a God that sits in the sky and with his rod and staff and looks at every mistake I do and just sits there and judges me? Newsflash, that's not the God of heaven. The God of heaven has come and he proved his love for you and that he chose to send his son to glorify himself and he is glorified when creation sees his great love. It glorifies his name. There's no other like him. There is no other like him in all of creation. See, it was Christ's work on earth that glorified the Father on earth. We also saw Jesus glorify his father when he rose Lazarus from the dead. We saw that in John 11. It says this illness did not lead to death. It's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So the first thing we see is that Jesus said, I glorified you on earth and I've accomplished the work that you have sent me out to do. The work was to reveal the great, unending, uncompromised love of God. And that brings him glory. The second thing we see Jesus say is his statement that he revealed his father's name to his people. We see that in verse 6. I have manifested or revealed your name to the people whom you have given me out of this world. Manifest literally means to show or demonstrate plainly or to reveal. So he's saying, Jesus is saying, the reason I have come is to reveal my Father's name, not just to show his glory, but to reveal his name, to reveal his character, to reveal his nature so that people might know who he is. He's saying, I have revealed who you are to everyone you have entrusted me to. 
For most of the gospel, Jesus, if we look at the gospel of John, that was really his mission. And the disciples, whether it be disciples or the Pharisees or the scribes, he tried to reveal who his father was. And they always said, oh, really? Yeah, well, that's great. But who are you? Jesus is like, I'm God. I'm revealing that I am God. I am from the Father. I have come to reveal who my Father is to you. And they still doubted. We see this over and over in John. I mean, I'm not even, I'm just going to list a few for the sake of this morning. But times that Jesus revealed the name of his Father. Start in John 3 when he said the heart of the Father was to save and not condemn. In John 3, we saw that God did not come to condemn the world, but he sent his son to save the world that was already condemned, that was revealing the name of his father. Or John 5, when Jesus is speaking of the authority of the son, the son can do nothing on his own, only what he sees the father doing, or the father loves the son and shows what he is doing. Or in John 5, Jesus said the works of the father has given the son to accomplish to bear witness that the father has sent him. The mission of Jesus was to reveal the name of the son or the father. John 8, when I am lifted up, Jesus says, when I'm hung on a cross, then you will know that I do nothing on my own, only what the father has taught me. Or John 15, we spent a lot of time looking at how the Father prunes those he loved. That exalts his name. It reveals his character. I could go on and on, but all that to say, Jesus is saying the reason he has come and what he has accomplished is he has revealed the name and the nature of his Father. The mission of Jesus was not just to save, but to reveal to us the name of the only God who does save. It's so interesting. We talked a little bit last week on so often in the church, it seems like there's this hyper focus, which there should be, don't get me wrong, but hear me out. There's this hyper focus on it's all about Jesus, nothing else matters. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus would say it's all about my father. The reason I have come, the reason you are set free is because my father sent me to the world so that you might be redeemed. It's this theocentric theology that we must have that it's all about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Not just the Son or not just the Spirit or not just the Father. Jesus is saying, I have accomplished that in revealing who the Father is. Number three is he gave us his Father's word. This is incredible. We see it in verse 8 and verse 14. Jesus says, the reason I have come is to reveal the word of God. Jesus, in John 1, we saw that, that he is the word. Jesus is the incarnate word. John 1:14, the word became flesh. If Jesus would not have come, his word would not have been revealed. Think about it. Jesus says, I have accomplished it. I have come. I am the incarnate word of the living God. I have come so that you might know the word and not just know the word, but that you might know truth. See, Jesus had revealed the heart of God through the word of God, for his word is truth. Where did we see this earlier? Well, we saw it a lot in John chapter 8. 
31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Ouch. <laughs> or John 8, 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. What's the point? Jesus came not just to reveal what truth is, but who truth is. And who truth is, is God himself. Jesus had accomplished it. If he would not have come, we would not know truth. See, truth is not relative. It's absolute. It's concrete. Regardless of what you want to think in this culture, truth is not relative. There is no such thing as my truth. And that's the reason Jesus came was to reveal the goodness of God, to reveal what truth is so that man might know how to be saved. See, truth has a name, and his name is Yahweh, the king of heaven, the God of all creation. Jesus came to reveal the word of God in order that creation might be redeemed. You see a common thread yet? There's a beautiful red thread so far being woven all throughout this already, and it's the thread of redemption. Everything so far that Jesus has said he has accomplished all revolves around one thing. The creation might be redeemed. The creation might see and know the goodness of a great God who has come, who he did not need to, but he chose to. And he came to reveal his word to us so that we might know how to be saved. Number four is this, and I love this one. We see it in verse 12, that he kept and guarded those who are his. This is remarkable. Verse 12 says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Where else have we seen Jesus talk about guarding and keeping those who are his? Well, we saw, his, we saw a lot of it in John chapter 10. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Or how about verses 14 and 15? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Or verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. We talked a few months back about this idea of a shepherd and how a shepherd is a warrior. A shepherd is a, is, a, is a warrior who defends his sheep at all costs, and we saw that in David. We, scripture says that David was a warrior. He said when a wolf or a bear would take one of his sheep, David would actually go into the mouth of the bear or the lion and, and return the sheep, and if he needed to, he killed them with his bare hand. Jesus is saying that I am a warrior, that I have come to guard and protect all that are mine, and the enemy cannot snatch them. 
You know why? Because when the enemy tries to go after one of my sheep, I rip it out of his mouth and I stomp his head with my heel because I have defeated death by rising from the grave. This is an amazing attribute about God, that he protects and he guards all those that are his and no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. It's remarkable. And Jesus is saying, I've accomplished that. I have protected all that were mine except for the son of destruction, which was Judas, who would betray him. And so that the scriptures might be fulfilled, we see that in Zechariah chapter 11. But see, the father sent Jesus to keep and guard those who are his, and he did just that. See, once you are his, Satan cannot snatch you. Did you know that it's a very poor theology to think that you can lose your salvation? It's unbiblical. It's impossible. Jesus says he keeps and guards all those who are his. There's nothing that you can do that can mess it up. There's no sin that you can do that somehow removes the love of God. You cannot be snatched from the Father's hand once you are saved. So the question becomes, are you saved? Jesus is saying, the reason I have come is so that I might not lose any that are of mine. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that it's easy to kind of build this works-based righteousness that, man, my faith and my salvation depends on how good or how not good I am or how perfectly I read the Bible or how many devotions I do or whatever. And Those are all great things. In fact, the more that we come to know God, the more we should desire his heart, which drives us to the word. But I will say this, no one can snatch you from the Father's hand if you have been redeemed. No pain, no sickness, no divorce, no sin, no mess up, no regrets. He is a good, good God. And praise God that he did not say, you know what, I'm going to come and atone for your sin, but only when you behave. Only when you do nothing wrong, because none of us are perfect. But at the same time, it does not give us a license to sin, please hear me. He says, if you are mine, you are secure. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed my transgressions from you. But the more that you know my heart, the more you should turn from sin and turn to me, because I am the only one that can heal. See, grace is not a license to sin. And it's knowing this, verse 13, that fulfills us with his joy. See, Jesus promises to protect and guard all those who are his. And if you are not his, he does not make you this promise. If you are not in Christ this morning, you are fighting against him and you will lose Jesus is saying, I have come, I have accomplished all that the Father has sent me to do to reveal the Father's heart for you to be redeemed. But if Jesus is not your Savior, if he has not set you free, you will be separated from him, and he does not promise to guard and protect you. But it can change in a moment. And all you have to do is believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Number five is this. He sent his people into the world, verse 18. 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And in verse 15, we said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We're going to spend a little time on this because I think as the church, sometimes we think, oh, man, I love my little church bubble. <laughs> Jesus would never send me into the world. It's dangerous out there. Right? We, we do our churchy things with churchy friends and churchy places for churchy reasons in our churchy world. Because if we're in our churchy world, we're safe. If we're in our churchy world, no one hates us. There's no persecution because I'm just around a bunch of like-minded people which is amazing. God has given us the church for community. But notice this, Jesus did not say that I'm keeping you from the world. He said, I'm sending you into the world. Listen, listen what he says, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is saying he is sending us into the world to infiltrate darkness with the power of the gospel. And so often we get in our mind that we want to be in the safe places. Hurting people are not in our safe places. The gospel has no power in our safe places. The power of God is manifested as a consumer an unquenchable fire when we get sent into the world where there is hurt and pain and suffering and people that are in desperate need of hope. And so often we just think that our world revolves around us. Jesus said, I'm sending you in to the world. See, the church was never meant to be pulled from the world. It was meant to infiltrate the world. And as it does, God protects his people from the enemy. That's the promise. You want to talk about an amazing promise? Jesus says, I'm sending you into the world. I'm sending you into the battle. I'm sending you into the war, but I will protect you. And the enemy cannot steal you. He cannot touch you because I have sealed you. It's an amazing promise. But so often we get in this place where we're like, man, Can you tell my coworker about Jesus? What's he going to say? What's he going to think of me? Is he going to be offended? See, Jesus has sent us into the world for a very specific reason, that the world might know who he is, that the world might know the love of the Father. And we need to quit being so timid and avoiding the world. The church was not meant to avoid the world. The church was meant to infiltrate the world. That's the reason we're here. Sunday morning is amazing. It can be an amazing gathering of believers, and, and it's great. But it doesn't end here. It starts here. Because there's a whole bunch of people in this place that are separated from a righteous and a holy God and desperately need hope and desperately need peace and desperately need life. And we just hoard it. Jesus says, don't hoard it. Infiltrate the world. 
See, while the world may hate you, the enemy cannot destroy you. He has been defeated. And hear this, Jesus sending us into the world does not mean we look like the world, but rather that we look like Jesus in the midst of the world. Did you know that there's no greater attraction to someone who has no hope and no peace and no purpose that looks at someone who is saved and says, I don't know what they have, but I want it. How can they have joy when their world is falling apart? How can they have peace when nothing makes sense? How are they always just happy? How are, like, I don't get it. That's what's attractive to the world. And there's nothing greater than a believer who stands firmly upon the foundation of their faith and says, man, let me tell you about a man that saved my life. That's how you can have joy. Do you know one of the greatest prayers for this church is that we would grow through conversion growth? I beg God, I pray, I say, God, what do we need to do? How, show us how to invade this valley. Show us what we need to do. How do we get in neighborhoods? How do we get in homes? In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to have a church here for the sports camp helping out, and we're going to do a big blow-up castle, and we're going to put out some flyers, and we're going to go march around this neighborhood, around the school, and we're going to say, listen, there's a free barbecue, there's a blow-up castle or whatever you call it, and there's a free sports camp the following week. Just come and join us. It's a community picnic. See, we need to be dreaming together of ways that we can reach this valley, that we can go into the world because Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world and I promise you that the enemy cannot steal you. So my question is this, whatever your sphere of influence is, would you be praying about how we can infiltrate the world with the gospel? Time is short, time is fleeting. None of us are guaranteed another breath. And Jesus said, I have sent you into the world so that people might know who I am. John MacArthur says this, a church that looks just like the world has nothing to offer the world. And one of my biggest fears is that this church would look a lot like the world and therefore we have nothing to offer the world. When we have an encounter with the risen Savior, it changes everything. And we can no longer look like the world, but we can influence the world. And that's why we're here. Not to look like the world, but to influence the world with the gospel. Because there is one who saves and his name is Jesus. See, the enemy loves it when our world revolves solely around churchy people. But he hates it when redeemed people infiltrate the world. For when God's people obey God's command, his power is unleashed like an unquenchable fire. And that's when stuff starts to happen. So why does God send us into the world? Because there's a battle for the souls of men. And the battle has been waged. But the war has been won when Jesus exploded out of the grave. It's the greatest news in history. It's the thing that changes everything. See, while men, women, boys, and girls run towards hell, we often sit in our castles and watch them run. It breaks my heart. 
Here's the question, if this church is a castle, are we sitting inside of our moat and watching people run to hell or are we going after them with everything that we have because Jesus has said he sent us into the world. He did not pray that we would be removed from the world but that the enemy would not steal us as we go into the world. So will you join us in the fight for the souls of men? Nothing else in all of creation matters. It doesn't matter how big your business portfolio is or how many houses you own when you come to the end of your life. It's all null and void and it's all worthless when you stand before the king. That's why we're here. That's why we fight. It's so people might be set free. Number six, he gave us the glory that the father gave him. And we see that in verse 22 the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one as we are one. D.A. Carson puts it this way. Glory commonly refers to the manifestation of God's character or person in a revelatory context. Jesus has manifested the glory of God personally to his first followers and through them to those who believe on account of their message. And he has done all this that we may be one as they are one. Essentially, it's saying this, Jesus has given us his glory by bringing to completion his revelatory task of revealing to the world who the Father is. And he's asked us to be a part. Why does God display his glory through us? So that the world might know that he loves them and loves them fiercely. Verse 22 says this, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. See, his glory reveals his love. And the last statement that Jesus made was this, and we see it in verse 26, that he has made known his father's name. Jesus reiterates this to the end of his prayer. And it's seen many times throughout John that's this purpose of Jesus coming to reveal the name of his father, to reveal the one who is worthy of it all. John 14, 9 through 11 says this, Jesus said to them, I have been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has sent me, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And then he says this, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works Themselves. See, the problem is we are often like Philip. So before you throw your stones, <laughs> look at your life. I'm that way. God's like, how many times do I have to reveal myself to you and you still don't believe? I've shown myself faithful, faithful, faithful through that storm, through this storm, through the greatest joy and high of your life or maybe the greatest low, and I've shown myself faithful and you still don't believe. Jesus is saying he has accomplished that. He has come to reveal the Father's name. We see it also in John 8. You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
about John 14, 6 through 7, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Do you really understand the weight of what he is saying? Like not just some fuzzy story that you can hear in some fictional story or nonfiction, however you want to view it. But like, do you understand the weight of this? That Jesus is saying, I have come to reveal my Father's name. He did not need to do that. God did not need to reveal himself to creation, but he chose to because he loved us. He could have let us just march all the way to hell and said, oh, the heck with them, those sinners. They disown me over and over and over. They betray me. They, they don't even know who I am. I've revealed myself 10,000 times and they still don't know me. No, God's love is relentless. He pursues people. He pursues us because he wants us to know him. And Jesus is saying, I have come and accomplished it. I have accomplished what? That you would know who my father is and know that he loves you fiercely. And you must turn and believe on me to be saved. Because if you don't, you'll be separated forever. If you don't, you'll have no hope. If you don't, you'll have no peace. So see, this was his mission to make known the name of the Father by revealing his heart in order that mankind might know how to be redeemed. And he accomplished just that. Jesus is saying this in his prayer as he's about to go to the cross, that he will continue to make known his Father's name until his return in order that what? That people might know his love. Stunning. From Jesus, who is seated with glory, who is the creator of everything that we see, chose to come here to a rotten place so that we might have life. See, his prayer begins with he has glorified his father and it ends with he has made known to them his name. Very fitting, as Jesus sums up this prayer, as Jesus prays this prayer, he says, I've accomplished it all, and what does it start and end with? I have glorified the name of the Father, and I have made known to them his name. Amen. What more else, what else do we need? Nothing. So what did Jesus accomplish as we wrap up, if the band wants to come up? This is what we see he accomplished on earth before going to the cross. He glorified his father on earth. He revealed his father's name to his people. He gave us his father's word. He kept and guarded those who are his. He sent his people into the world. He gave us the, what, he gave us the father's name and he made known his father's name. It's a beautiful prayer. It's amazing. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, thinking, man, that 
message didn't have a whole lot to do with me. Well, it didn't and it did. The amazing thing about John 17 is it reveals the heart of God for all of creation. It reveals his mission. It reveals what he accomplished. And it should cause you to sit there in awe. Do you really grasp, do you really understand what God has purchased you from? Do you really understand the weight of your sin in the face of his glory? When we see that, it doesn't cause this response of, oh, great is me, I am so amazing. It is not this feeling of, oh, man, I got the world by the tail and it all revolves around me. In fact, my business is thriving and everything is amazing. God blesses his people. But I'm sorry, the story of redemption is not about us. It's about him. It's about him choosing to come and set the captives free. It's about Jesus revealing the will of his father. If we could grasp that, if we could get that, it would change utterly everything. So the question is this, do you know this king? Do you know this savior? And I don't mean know him as an acquaintance. I mean know him as your Lord and as your savior and as your king. Because if you don't, you can have no part in him. Jesus' words, not mine. So here's my prayer as I was leading up to this weekend. I was like, good grief, John 17, it's loaded. I don't, like, what do you say? What do you don't say? I mean, how are people going to leave? They're going to think, man, that's nice, but I don't know how to apply that and whatever. Apply it this way. That there is a God of heaven who sent his only son to set you free, and that should cause you to fall to your knees and weep at some point. Just reflect upon it. Reflect upon the joy of your salvation, what your life was and what it is now. And thank God that he sent Jesus to reveal his plan for redemption. If Jesus would not have come, we would not know his word. We could not be redeemed. We would not know who the Father is. There would be no personal relationship. We'd still be sacrificing sheep at the altar and three minutes later looking for another sheep because we've messed up again. Jesus has come to set you free, and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So here's my prayer as you leave, that you would not leave thinking, oh man, I'm so great, but that you would leave knowing that you serve a great God, and he has revealed himself through his word, and this is his heart. In fact, I challenge you this week, if you would do this, I would be thrilled. 
every day, get up, and the first thing you do in the morning is I just want you to read through John chapter 17 and be reminded of who God is, be reminded of what he has done for you, and let him, let him just awestruck you with his glory. Because we get so busy in our little lives, doing our little things, that we profess this God, but we don't really know him. We profess to know all the theology, and we don't know him. We say that we believe in the gospel, but I haven't shared my faith with someone in two and a half years. Because it's all a bunch of head knowledge to me. This God has set you free. Do you believe it? And when you believe it, watch. You receive a peace that passes all understanding, a joy that cannot be explained, even if you're going through the deepest storm of your life. He is right there with you in the trenches. He is fighting with you. Why? Because he keeps you and guards you if you are his. If you are not his, he does not keep you and he does not guard you. He is an amazing king. Do you know him? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that your word never returns void. I thank you even in a moment like this, a morning like this, God, where it seems like maybe there's not a whole lot of application that you can pull out of a text like this. It's, it's loaded. I just pray that we, God, would be a people that don't open the word and our first thought is, okay, what does this have to do? How does this, what is this in it for me? But God, that we would open the word and say, God, would you speak to us? Would you reveal your character? Would you reveal your nature? And would you draw me to my knees as I stand in awe of this great king? So God, if there's someone in this place that does not know you, I pray that you would draw them to yourself in this moment. That they would know that there's a God in heaven who loves them fiercely and he proved it by sending his son. He proved it as Jesus revealed what he had accomplished so that creation might be redeemed. If that's you, you just have to acknowledge you're a sinner in need of a savior. Say, Jesus, I need a savior. I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to turn to you. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you ascended to the right hand of the Father and you're coming back. God, take my life. Fix it, because I cannot fix my own. And he will save you in a moment. Just believe that he is who he said he is. And God, for all of us in this room that are saved, I pray that this week we would have a new profound awe of who you are. That this was your prayer before you went to the cross to set us free. Because you loved us fiercely. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.